Hey everybody, this is Hunter Williams. Today is going to be episode 95 of the NeuroEdge podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Feels like it's been a while, and it actually has been. I think it's been almost two weeks now since the last episode. So I am back in the saddle today, getting back at it. I was actually in the process of moving. So as you know, it's always fun. And one thing that, just as a side note before I get into the episode today, I actually, in one of my professions, am a real estate agent. And it's always good to go through what your clients do. So I just moved recently. A lot of times I take for granted how stressful the process of moving can be, let alone trying to find a house and everything, but all the sideshow that comes with that, changing your address, getting everything moved, setting up a moving company or moving it yourself logistically. It's a logistical nightmare to have to do. So again, I deal with that on a daily basis when I'm working with my clients, but it's always good to be put into the shoes of whoever you are helping because you have a lot more appreciation for what your client is going through. And it's one thing that I talk about all the time, which is empathy. It's always good to have empathy for the people that you are working with and working for. So thought that was interesting. And even though I don't really own that much per se compared to some other people in the Western world, I try to keep a minimalist approach in my life and keep things simple. Still moving beds and things like that, it just turns into, like I said, a logistical nightmare. So glad to have that out of the way and back to a regular schedule. Now we do have the holiday this week. So if you are listening to this to uh, while you are traveling or anything like that, I want to wish you a very happy Thanksgiving. And it's a great time of the year to reflect. I was just thinking about this today as we have a little bit more time, maybe if we are away from work or things like that, it's really good. And I know this is really sounds cliche to say, but take a moment to breathe and think about the year you've had so far, how many people you have affected and what you can do better going forward. I know that's what I'm going to be doing and just try to get away from a lot of the nonsense and everything that is going on out in the world today. And that is my mission with this show and this podcast is to help spread love to people out there in the world because there is so much that detracts from positive things and positive things going on in the world. So just want to get that out there. So episode 95, what, we, what do we have today? So today I'm going to be talking about status, vitamin D, Akashic records, neural networks, and vegetables. And again, this is the theme lately that I've been doing. These things may not sound like that they're that related. However, I'm going to all tie this back into how we can use things around us to live a more fulfilled life, a healthier life, a happier life. So bear with me and I'm going to tie these back together, but hopefully you enjoy. And don't forget if you enjoy this type of content, whether you're listening to the podcast, YouTube, Facebook, whatever it is, don't forget to join the group. I am really working on trying to grow that for a place that people, it's kind of like a VIP club. So it's the next level up and it's completely free, but we don't just let anybody in. So if you want to check that out, see what's going on in the inside of the group, Definitely head on over, and the link will be in the description of all the video and stuff. So that being said, without further ado, for the week of Thanksgiving, let's get into it. And the first thing I'm going to be talking about is let me share my screen. Boom. And we are going to be talking about status. So one thing I think a lot about is status. And if you think about the motivation for a lot of what we do, humans never want to have their status drop. So everything we do as a human is always trying to increase our status. 
Now, may that sound right at first, but when you think about it, what do we do all day? Well, most people work all day. Why do people work? Well, they're trying to increase their monetary net worth, make more money, pay for their living expenses, what have you. Now, why do people do that? Well, it all comes down to status. So how we see ourselves in relation to other is what status is. And we are going to do a lot and make a lot of the choices that we do in life because of how we feel about our status and how we are trying to achieve status and signal to others that we have status. So whether you like it or not, this is one of those things that's kind of an inbuilt mechanism into our DNA. So I just wanted to talk about status, what it is, and why it matters. So I found this article on the Art of Manliness website, which is a really cool podcast. But uh, what I want to talk about, they kind of boiled this down to the three types of status and why it matters. So according to a sociologist animal be- and animal behaviorist, there are three types of status, ascribed, achieved, and embodied. So ascribed status is the status one has because of birth or role they take on later in life. So the class you're born into, your race, and your sex comes with status built into it. So for example, if you're a white dude born into an influential and rich family in New England, you're going to have more inborn status in at least America than if you are a black woman born to a poor family in the South. So your ascribed status is kind of what you can't necessarily change. Can you change this? Yes, maybe by posturing and promoting yourself in a certain way. But um, it's something that is conferred to you simply by assuming certain positions in life. For example, research has shown that randomly assigning someone as a leader for an ad hoc group will give that person status in the eyes of the peers. So he might do something later on to lose that status, but simply filling the role of leader gives this person status. So it's kind of something that is just part of who you are and inbuilt into whether that's your demographic background or what you are seen as among your peers. So next one is achieved status. So achieved status is the status one has gained through his own efforts. So the status that is earned. And when we think about this, this is something that I think especially a lot of men really should work towards is actually achieving status. So rather than having nominal status that comes from something that you necessarily don't earn, achieved status comes through the hard work of doing it. So Individuals that provide benefits through ability and talent to the group in which they belong earn the respect and status of that group. In modern Western industrial societies, achieved status is given more importance than ascribed status, and I think that's a good thing. In America, we aspire the ideal that Thomas Jefferson uh, espoused and that the nation become not an aristocracy of birth, but of virtue and talent. And I think that's one of the problems we face in the world today is a lot of people don't look to increase their status by actually achieving it. They want more of an ascribed status. They want a status that is assigned to them by other people rather than actually achieving something themselves that they are proud of and that other people can be proud of. Um, Because achieved status is dependent on one's personal effort, it is much less stable and secure than ascribed status. So this is something you have to earn. It cannot be given to you like ascribed status. This is something you earn. I think this is one thing that we as a culture and a society should really value and place more emphasis on. Achieved status is also seen in primates, often in a more brutal and violent way. So again, this is also kind of built into our DNA and how we operate and how we see ourselves amongst each other. Male chimps that can violently dominate other male chimps will typically be seen as the alpha male of the group. It doesn't matter if he was born born to a high-status female or not. Chimps can also earn status by grooming other chimps and sharing resources with the group. So the same dynamic actually holds true in human communities. Men can gain status through demonstrations of strength and aggression, they can also achieve status by mastering a skill that benefits their community by co- cooperating with others. And I think 
as we go through our life, as we look to increase our status, we should shoot for this achieved status in which we are actually providing value to our community and those around us in order for an increase in status. Lastly, moving along, the last one we have is embodied status. So embodied status is the status that we get from our physical characteristics. So tall, handsome, fit men have more status than short, unattractive, chubby men. Now, we can actually control some of this. And this is why I talk about health and wellness all the time, because how you take care of your body and how you show up to take care of your body is going to relate to your actual status in the world. So we see that research has shown that men who stand up straight and have a deep baritone voice will be perceived as having more status than a man who slumps the shoulders and talks in a high-pitched tone. Now, you might not be able to control necessarily how high or low pitch your voice is. However, you can stand up straight, you can take care of your health, and you can do things that are going to give credence and to have more power in giving you embodied status. So one of the ugly sides of embodied status comes with physical and mental disabilities. Obviously, this is something that people can't control and something that as society we should count for. Also, evolutionary psychologists and biologists hypothesize that the ill treatment of those with disabilities in effect, a natural sorting mechanism to rid the gene pool of the effect. That's really sad to say, but that's how Darwinian evolution kind of looks at that. I don't know. I don't necessarily agree with that, but this is just kind of talking about how this works. Embodied status sits in the middle of a scribe and chief status, so it's kind of a blending of the two, just we have no control over the class, race, or sex we're born with. We have no control over our genetics. So if you're short, you're not always going to be short. You're always going to be short, and we'll have to deal with the subtle slights that sometimes come with being vertically challenged, especially if you're a man. That sometimes can be frowned upon, especially in sexual selection among women. We can exercise and eat right, so we have a fit-looking body. So one thing to keep in mind with all these is that a scribe and chief and embodied status interplay with one another. So there are certain things in this we might not necessarily be able to control, but there are definitely things that we can control. And if your goal, and I think all of our goals is definitely this, is to increase our status in the world without losing status in whatever we do, you want to control what you control. So that's one thing that I talk about all the time is controlling what you can control. So pretty cool article to check out on the art of manliness. And I know I talk more about men in that, but I think it's important to recognize this is something that we all deal with, and it's kind of un an unconscious programming that we have. And if you can become conscious of what's going on with this, it's going to help you better understand why you make the decisions you make, and then also get results from the decisions you make to be better in your life. So let's move along. That's a little bit about status. Next thing I want to talk about, just because in the Northern Hemisphere, we are heading into the winter months, and I wanted to talk about vitamin D. Something I notice, especially as it's colder outside, the sun is further away from us. So we, by consequence of that, are not getting as much vitamin D. So I wanted to see, can you rely on the sunlight to get enough vitamin D in the winter? And I found this blog on Oregon State's website. But basically it talks about the difference between the UV levels in the summer and the winter and why it's important to make sure that we are cognizant of our vitamin D production and supplementation in the winter. So winter is not the best time of the year to make vitamin D regardless of where you live. So the sun is just not the right angle to get UV light to the earth. UV light is needed to synthesize it in the skin. So in the summer, vitamin D production can be high because UV light levels are high. 
just a sore time spent in the sunshine in the middle of the day will give you enough vitamin D in the summer. However, in the winter, UV levels drop from the sun and are much lower, so your levels, levels of vitamin D sensitivity may drop even if you spend time in the sunlight or more time in sunlight than in the winter. So temple set test is to look at your shadow. If it is, not this, if it is the same height or shorter than you, you're getting enough sun to make vitamin D. If it is longer than you, then you're probably not. So most places in the U.S. in the wintertime, you can probably guess what you're going to see, and that's going to be your shadow being longer than you. So I actually didn't know that. It's a pretty cool trick. You look outside, look and see if your shadow is longer than you are tall, and that's a good indication that you're not getting enough vitamin D from sun exposure at that time. So other things can also influence your vitamin D. So time in the sun, obviously. The amount of sunlight, so depending on whether it's cloudy or not outside. Time of day, so the best is in the middle of today between 10 o'clock in the morning and 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, skin color, obviously, the darker your skin, the more uh, UV light you're going to need. And the amount of skin that is exposed, and a lot of times in the winter we have more clothing on, blocking a lot of our skin from getting that sunlight. So all that to say, vitamin D status is obviously going to be lower in the winter months of the year, which, what's that going to do? It's going to cause our immune systems to be suppressed because we are not getting the requisite levels of vitamin D that we actually need to have a healthy immune system. Hence, a lot of what is going on with CBD, don't want to trigger the algorithms right now, but uh, hence what is going on with CBD in the world right now. So as a result, in many parts of the United States, even the best conditions, the amount of vitamin D made from sunlight exposure from November to February is small, and that's why it's being called the vitamin D winter in Southern Hemisphere, this is typically in June through August. So that's just flipped if you live in the Southern Hemisphere. So all this to say, make sure, and the only way to really test is a blood test. But studies suggest it's best to have your levels above 30 nanograms per milliliter of vitamin D in your blood. And if your levels are low, your doctor can suggest a supplementation strategy. If you do decide to supplement with vitamin D, the Linus Pauling Institute, which is this website, they recommend 2,000 international units of vitamin D from vitamin or supplements. Just make sure if you're supplementing that you're getting vitamin K2, which is a necessary cofactor for your body to absorb vitamin D. And another thing you want to keep in mind is that it can become too much if you're supplementing with vitamin D without vitamin K2. It can become toxic in your blood as a buildup. So moving along... The Akashic Record. So moving from more of a science talk to something that is a little bit more of the ethereal and spiritual realm. So what are the Akashic Records? And I have come across this a lot of my books and reading. Basically, it's this idea that if you had a library of everything that ever happened on the planet, that would be the Akashic Records. So it's basically a record of everything that has ever happened in our dimension of time and space. And as someone that myself is obsessed with information, studying, learning, reading, all these things, this is a pretty cool idea. So what are the Akashic Records? They are basically a compendium of all human knowledge that can be accessed on the astral plane. They also don't pass judgment or label actions as good or bad. Rather, they simply state what has been Knowledge of this book of life can influence our views of reality and serve as a tool of self-development. So whether you are more spiritual leaning or you are just more of a logical left-brain person that doesn't engage in those things, I think this mental model of the Akashic Records is pretty cool. And some of the key takeaways this article talks about is that modern practitioners believe the Akashic Records can be accessed through prayer, intuition, and meditation. 
another reason to have a healthy spiritual practice. The Akashic Records are a collection of all the thoughts, events, knowledge, and ideas that mankind has had since the beginning of space and time. The concept of the Akashic Records originated with Madame Blavatsky and the Theosophist spiritual movement, which I am not really too familiar with. But it's this idea that there is a record of everything. And if you do believe in God, I think it's very plausible that there is a record of everything. So every thought you've ever had, every thought that every human has ever had in mankind is on record somewhere and it is accessible to us. And we are all connected as human beings, which is another reason I think that prayer and meditation are so important or important. So this idea came originally in the 19th century and um, sometimes referred to as the book of life. And some people believe the Akashic records are comprised of the energy that makes up everything in the universe throughout all of space and time. If you think about it, it kind of makes sense because we are stardust. We are made up of all the particles that were around us that formed us here to have life today. So this article talks about it in relation to the Theosophist movement. Um, like I said, I'm not too familiar with that, but basically it's this idea that everything around us can be accessed and whether you read the Bible or any other thing, it's interesting. It's an interesting thought experiment to actually understand that time is not a continuum. It is all one. And if that is the case, then all the information around us is all in one place that we can actually access as humans and have access to through our connection with divine source energy or God, what you would call it. So just a little info on that and definitely something that you should look into if you are interested. Next thing I want to talk about is neural networks. So this is on the rise lately with artificial intelligence. And I just wanted to research it a little bit, kind of talk about it a little bit and how these things work. Sounds really fancy. A neural network is a network or a circuit of neurons or an artificial neural network composed of artificial neurons or nodes. Thus, a neural network is either a biological neural network, i.e. our brains, made up of real biological neurons, or an artificial neural network for solving artificial intelligence problems. The connection of the biological neuron are modeled as weights. A positive weight reflects an ex excitatory connection, while negative values mean an inhibitory connection. All inputs are modified by weight and sum. The activity is re referred to as linear combination. Finally, an activity function controls the amplitude of the output. For example, an acceptable range of output is usually between zero and one, or it could be negative one and one. So these artificial networks may be used for predictive modeling, adaptive control and applications where it can be trained via a data set and self-learning resulting experience can occur within networks, which can derive conclusions from a complex and seemingly unrelated set of information. All of that jargon to say that a lot of the way that computers information networks are pushing forward is a model based on neurons, which are firing in our brain. And it's kind of crazy because if you look at computers, all computers come down to bits, which are zeros and ones. And if you think about it, every electrical reaction that takes place in our brain is kind of the same thing. It's an electron or a neuron firing or not firing. And all of those different neurons firing or not firing create the chemical reactions in our body that lead us to be here today. So a neural network, at least in computer terms, is the modeling of this to build algorithms and artificial intelligence. Now, what's kind of scary is that we are moving into a society 
where these are trying to become integrated with the actual biological systems of humans. And so you have a lot of this artificial intelligence trying to work its way into connecting with humans, which is kind of scary and sounds like a Hollywood blockbuster movie, but it's true. And if you look into this, these things are crazy in terms of how good artificial intelligence is getting and everything like that. And yeah, can an artificial intelligence paint the Mona Lisa today? Probably not, but who knows where it's going to go in the future. And the thing about computers is I bet if someone would have told you 15 years ago that I would be doing a live stream on YouTube, you would have said, what's a live stream and what's YouTube? And that's just how fast this stuff can change. And it's only getting faster. So I think neural networks are pretty cool and definitely the basis of a lot of companies that are going to be built in the future, systems that are going to be built in the future. And I think we need as a society to look at this and use it for something that is good, something that's positive that contributes to the amplification of humans as a species rather than the merging of humans with machines. So why does that matter? Well, it matters because you need to be on guard against this as computers become more and more integrated with our lives. And understand that we have a biological component and you need to account for that. Make sure that you're keeping it healthy and get to the nature of what it is to be a human. And then you, when you're working in these systems, you know the difference and you don't become sucked in into being just a zombie in an artificial intelligence world. So just my thoughts. Last thing I wanted to talk about today is vegetables. So did your mom ever tell you that you need to eat your vegetables? I think everybody's mom told us that when we were growing up. However, a lot of the research coming out lately has shown that eating too many vegetables can actually be toxic to our systems. And what I want to talk about was a guy named Dr. Paul Saladino, who has had some really interesting research or brought a lot of really interesting research to the forefront. He's been on a bunch of different podcasts and everything. And I just want to talk about some of the things that he mentions in his book, The Carnivore Code. But basically this idea that plant foods are toxic to us and they're going to come through the form of polyphenols and oxalates. Um, but just to go over that kind of at a very high level, um, what are foods that are plants that are also high in toxins. So generally, seeds are going to be the most toxic. So then comes roots, stems, and leaves. And logically, this makes sense because seeds are the most biologically expensive and valuable part of the plant since they are how plants procreate. So roots, stems, and leaves are all involved with feeding the plant. As far as foods goes, these plants include nuts, beans, grains, onions, potatoes, and other roots. Many of these plants can be rendered less toxic via fermenting, soaking, and sprouting. And although... Some of these foods are moderate toxicity at best, soaking nuts and then dehydrating them or soaking them until they sprout reduces the number of harmful or nutrient block plant compounds in them greatly. So why are these bad? Well, again, I said it kind of relates to oxalates, but what are oxalates? Oxalates are produced in animal biology as a waste product. So they serve no functional purpose. And when there are too many in our bodies, we can end up with some serious issues. So kidney stones are probably made up of calcium oxalate, for example, and people with hyperoxaluria, a genetic condition that causes high production and excretion of oxalates, pass large kidney stones regularly and often end up with permanent kidney stones and or kidney damage and renal failure. Here's where plants come in. So unlike animals, oxalates are a primary component of plant biology rather than a waste product. So while in humans there is no purpose of oxalates, plants use them in photosynthesis, mineral stabilization, even defense against predation, 
by animals. So the oxalates are to protect the plants from getting eaten. Plants actually, just like animals, have defense mechanisms to run away when someone is chasing them. Well, plants can't run away from you, so they have these mechanisms in them that can actually damage your system and cause inflammation. Now, the debate is whether some of these stressors can actually cause hormesis and be a stressor that also has benefits. Paul Saladino will argue this is not the case and these things are causing inflammation. But that is about oxalates. So another thing, kale is very high in oxalates. So uh, cooking plant food will help break down oxalates. It's obviously going to be much higher in raw food. And again, much of conventional wisdom has told us that these things are healthy for us, which in reality, they can actually cause a lot of gastrointestinal stress, especially the more raw the food is that you eat. Next thing is polyphenols. So inside plants are a host of chemicals that can cause you harm. And one of these is polyphenols. So these compounds are often referred to as antioxidants, meaning they supposedly lower inflammation in the human body when consumed. So examples of plant polyphenols include resveratrol, kerosetin, flavonoids, tannins, steel beans, lignans, curcumin, capsaicin and many more, and you may recognize many of these compounds, but most of them have been widely promoted as health boosting. However, what you may not know is these serve no purpose in plant metabolism. They not, do not help the plants stay healthy. Instead, they are either pigments or plant defense mechanisms. So animals, we do not have polyphenols of our own. These molecules are 100% unique and specific to plant biology. When we consume these materials, they don't become part of our working biology. Instead, what really occurs is these compounds cause, these compounds cause inflammation. So in response, your body produces its own antioxidant glutathione, which is a compound that actually lowers inflammation. So that's not there with hormesis that it could actually help. However, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're all bad. It can cause good things, but if we are eating them too much, it can cause bad things. And I firmly believe... A lot of the Western diet has become so processed and there's so many plant foods along with a bunch of other garbage and toxins in our foods today that it is causing the rampant obesity and all these things in our world. And I think if we could move away from that and move toward a, toward a healthier animal-based diet that is going to be richer and not is made up of all these different chemical compounds and everything that can cause us inflammation and inflammation in our stomach, we are going to be healthier and our brain is going to be healthier as well. So just wanted to talk a little bit about that. If you have always thought the vegetables are good, there may be a counter argument to that. I'm not going to tell you today to eliminate all vegetables, but if you're someone that thinks that you need the five to six serving of vegetables a day, just rethink that a little bit and really think twice before you decide to eat your huge salad every single day. So that is all for today, everybody. I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the show. I really appreciate it. Maybe back to a more regular schedule now. So hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to check out our group and I will talk to you guys soon. Peace.